Welcome to the Bell Institute podcast. I'm your humble servant and host, Terry Weaver. Our mission for this podcast is to bring you stories about veterans, entrepreneurs, and leaders who are doing fascinating things with their lives. Our hope is to inspire you because we believe that inspired individuals will change lives, both theirs and others for the good. Bell Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we're asking for your support. There are two ways to do that. One, by getting involved with our mission, and two, by contributing financially. Please visit bellinstitute.org, that's B-E-L institute.org, to help us make an impact. I'm here with uh, Scott Wells from Lift Strong, Run Fast. We're going to talk about uh, Scott's journey a little bit and mm-hmm. what got him into fitness, but I just want to say at the outset, I've been working out here at Lift Strong run fast for the past two years and I at age 36 mm-hmm. I'm in better shape than I've ever been in and I've been in the military I've been in uh, high school sports I've worked out for the past 20 years and I'm in better shape now than I ever have been so thanks for that perfect perfect yeah that's definitely what we want to hear that's uh one of the biggest goals for people is getting in the best shape of their lives you know not just uh physically but spiritually mentally um you know having that balance of everything Good. And I want to start by asking, uh, how, how do you get involved in fitness personally? What kind of tell me about your fitness journey? Mm-hmm. Well, um, like I said, I, I've I've been active my whole life. You know, whenever I played sports, I've excelled at sports. You know, in in particular. But um, I would say to give the uh, story about when I got into the fitness industry, started making it more of a career was, you know, about 15 plus years ago, I, I wanted to be a personal trainer and, you know, I was, uh, before that I was actually in the restaurant industry and the oil industry and I always worked out, always loved personal training. And I told myself, you know, uh, I went to 24 hour fitness here in the woodlands and I saw some of my friends that were personal training And I just thought it was a cool lifestyle, helping people, training, working out. Um, Back then, you know, I didn't know kind of uh, the lifestyle it would lead to, to what I'm living today. So I I talked to some of my friends. They said, yeah, just get some certifications. At the time, I went for the uh, National Academy of Sports Medicine, and I got their CPT, which is their certified personal trainer. And man, I took this stuff seriously. I studied like six, seven hours a day for it. And, you know, by the time I took the test, I passed it and was able to go into uh, 24 hour fitness as a personal trainer with a level one certification. Um, at the time, there was about 20 or so applicants that went into the uh, training session with or the training class with me at 24 hour fitness. And they put you through a six weeks thing to get your uh, certification, to get a uh, nutrition certification. And it was interesting because after I completed the six weeks and we went onto the floor, it was me and another guy and that was it. And um, basically, you know, they, they feed you clients, right? Well, in that training system or business model, so to speak, the more um, certifications you have, the higher you get paid, the more recognized you are as a trainer. So uh, with their particular model, what I wanted to do was get to a level three. 
Well, then I went and turned around and I took the uh, National Academy of Sports Medicine, their CES, which is a corrective exercise specialist, and then their uh, PES, their performance enhancement specialist. So by the time I got these certifications, I was at a level three. I was training a lot of people at 24. And um, like I said, it was it was about a year and a half, right? Well, the mark of a good personal trainer is that you are training about 40 hours a week, right? About 40 clients a week. It doesn't necessarily have to be clients. It just, you know, it could be the same client, but 40 hours a week. Well, that lets you know you're a pretty good trainer. You're kind of sought after or whatnot. Um, I met a real good friend of mine there. His name's Sean Glowacki. Kind of uh, took me under his wing. He taught me a lot about training while we were there. And at one point in time, for about three months straight, me and Sean were training 13 hours a day. We were like praying for someone to cancel on us so we could just go work out. And uh, in hindsight, I looked back and was like, wow, that's like real dedication, you know, waking up early. That's the life of a trainer. You know, that just comes with the territory where you got to wake up at three or four in the morning. And, you know, I'll give you a story a little bit later about that. But yeah, you got to wake up early. You got to stay late. You know, people come before work, they stay after work. So I'm, I'm working at 24 hour fitness and I'm learning a lot of different things and, uh, training a lot of people. And I feel like I'm doing really well. And all of a sudden, little silly things start happening. You know, I'm training my people hard. And they're like, Scott, you can't train your people that hard because, you know, it looks bad. <laughs> like, it looks bad to other members there that you're coming over here and their people are dying. They have to lay down on the ground to, before they even get out of here, right? And um, and I'm like, isn't that what I'm supposed to do this, this shit doesn't make sense to me. Like, what are y'all talking about? You know, I'm getting my people results. They're re-signing. I I don't understand what I got to do. Well, this is where I started learning what, what the difference is between, uh, maybe being an entrepreneur and corporate base, uh, business or what I call corporate base fitness is, you know, they wanted you to sell all their little bullshit, right? Their body bug, their shirts, their <clears throat> whatnot, right? Supplements. And uh, I remember being in their store and a guy came up and asked me about the body bug. You might have never heard of it, but back then to me, it's like old technology now. Like you put this thing on your arm and it reads, I think, galvanic skin temperature. And, you know, it's just a Look, you can't even get people to write down what the hell they ate and what they're doing. How the hell are you going to get people to do all this stuff, right? So I told him, man, I think that thing's bullshit. It's like, uh, you know, I said, just eat right, work out hard. You know, these are the equation to getting in shape has not changed in 100 years, right? So anyhow, I'm working at 24 and uh, I get called into the office, right? And my uh, my general manager's there, my fitness manager's there sales managers there. And there's this other guy that I don't know who he is. And he's the, uh, I guess he's the, uh, retention guy, right? He's the guy that you call in whenever people are stealing. Okay. So I'm in there and I don't know who he is just as yet, but they said, Scott, we need to talk to you. Mate. Can you have a seat? So I just kind of still remain standing. I was like, what, what's going on? You know, this kind of feels weird. You, you, you know what's up. I mean, you don't have to be stupid, right? I mean, you know something's going on. 
And uh, so this guy said he introduces himself, and I'm not going to say any names and you know keep it private. But um, he says, Scott, we um, we feel you've been stealing companies' time. I said, hang on, I haven't. <laughs> I'm not that type of person. Like, what's going on? Like, you know, I, I looked at my fitness manager. And I was like, are y'all being serious? You know, and uh, make a long story short. I always tell people I quit 24-hour fitness. In reality, they fired me, right? And um, they fired me because they said I was stealing companies' time. But it didn't make sense because we had had three, four different fitness managers, had different rules with with everything else. And uh, basically, if a client didn't show up, you were supposed to – you know, with one manager, you're supposed to clock out, not do anything. The other manager is like, no, you stay on the clock and you go help uh, members out on the floor. You try to get more training sessions, blah, 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 whatever. So what I was doing was staying on the clock and I was cleaning up when, you know, we had this change of management. Now they wanted you to clock out. They said I was stealing companies time. I said, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, the guy was, he he was a very large individual pushing 400. I said, you know, y- y'all call you. You call yourself a fitness company, but, you know, do you, and I asked the guy, I said, do you even work out? You know, and it was probably wrong of me, but I was more rambunctious back at the time. And they said, Scott, you know what? You're fired. Get out of here. And I was like, okay. So I basically went out there and I always tell people, this is when I did my Jerry Maguire. You know, I stood up. I said, you know, who who's leaving with me? And it's funny because I had quite a few clients and um, till this day. I still have a lot of those clients training here with, with me at the gym. So basically after pulling my Jerry Maguire, you know, I had no place to go. And I, uh, but I knew I wanted to train. It, this was, this quickly became a passion. Okay. This wasn't a job anymore for me. This wasn't something that put food on the table. This wasn't a hobby. This was an absolute passion. Later on, I'll talk about passion being a uh, foreign language. You might not fully understand it, but you, it is absolutely fluent to you when you hear somebody else speak it, right? But so anyhow, getting back to kind of my, my journey is um, I had five grand and I had my house and I had my garage. And one of my buddies said, what are you waiting for? Start. Don't wait. Don't fuck around. Don't do anything. Get in there and start your stuff. So I took this five grand and I bought things for my, what I call my first phase of my garage. And I outfitted it. And I remember just after I'd outfit it, I'd go in my garage. I hit the garage door and I'd close it and I'd go outside. I'd I'd hit the garage door and open it. And I'm like, this is, this is what's about to happen. Right. And I remember going door to door, you know, giving them flyers in the neighborhood. Hey, I'm Scott Wells. I'm, you know, new in the neighborhood. If you want to try to get in shape, come by. I got this garage gym workout. And uh, I remember people would greet me at the door with a pizza and a Coke and laughing at me. And at the time, it's a joke, right? But it really grounded these, or I would say ingrained these, uh, very, very basic rules that I still live by. The goal is to get laughed at because if these people are laughing at you, they're noticing you, right? So I'm going door to door. I'm getting people. I, and the people that left, um, 
right now I have, as, as I'm training out of the garage, I have about, I would say 30 people right now training with me out of the garage and things are going awesome. Like I said, I put five grand into it and I remember my buddy asking like, Hey, how's it going? You know, are you, are you sure this is something you want to do? I said, I know I'm sure about it. I have no idea if it's going to work. Uh, the very first month I made 10 grand. So I made my five grand plus a hundred percent back. Um, and like I said, some of these, uh, things that happened early in my career have really ingrained the way I run my business today. Okay. Um, as, as I'm training now, I'm, I'm, you know, if, if you live around this area, you've seen Rayford sawdust kind of blow up and grow. And, uh, at the time, the, uh, where the Woodlands MMA gym is now, it's changed the name quite a few times. Um, I was back there with, uh, when, with the other, with the old owners, I went up there one day before they were having their grand opening and they, you know, the, the fitness community is a small community, right? So they had heard about me being in, uh, starting up my gym and this is where I, where I found CrossFit. Okay. And this is a, um, I would say this is a good turning point because uh, there's another guy that's been training with me since day one. His name's Daniel Fielder. And out of the garage, I've always run run things by him. This guy is my absolute best friend. I mean, everything I can uh, I, that I've done, even till this day, he has no financial stake in my business, but he's definitely a partner. And um, But, you know, I started running things by him. And one of the things that we were actually going to do right before I found CrossFit, I had come up with this ideology or methodology, so to speak, of animalistic style training, where we had different methods like this cheetah method, which was a sprinting method, right? And we had this like uh, different workouts like elephant heavy, where you'd be doing heavy deadlifts or a monkey style uh workout where you're doing swinging and pull-ups and stuff like that. It was really neat because as we look at our, our animal counterparts, they're a lot stronger than, uh, than us. So I was like, man, let's put this together in a package and we'll start it, start something with it. Well, at that very time, that's where I found CrossFit. CrossFit was uh, up and kind of beginning and blowing up and before even I went to this MMA gym, I had went and got CrossFit certified, okay? And at the time, I, I actually trained at the original Santa Cruz in uh, in California. Remember what year that was? What year was that? Shit, I got it. I got it up there, man. Um, I on, on one of my certifications. Yeah, I'm CrossFit certified also. And, uh, you know, a lot of people ask me about CrossFit now because – at the time, I was the third one in this area. Uh, Carlos was at CrossFit Houston before me, and Matt Munson was at um, CrossFit Champions before me. And, you know, I met those guys, and I was the third one in this area with CrossFit The Woodlands. And um, it's crazy to say I was the third one because there's about fucking 300 now, right? There's a lot of them. But um, uh, that that's... Like I said, that's another story, and I mean, I'll get to that because it, it's part of it. You got to understand it, right? And um, but when I went out to California, a lot of people think that I don't like CrossFit, and it's not that I don't like it, you know, because I was there with the originals. I remember riding with Dave Castro up to um, 
up to the original Santa Cruz and talking to him and before, you know, he's like the Dave Castro now and real big with the, with CrossFit or whatnot. But, um, you know, like I said, I rode up there with him. I was there with, uh, uh, Annie Sakamoto, uh, Nicole, Eva T. Uh, when I went to the first CrossFit cert out there at the Santa North Santa Cruz, Rob Wolf sat to my right and, uh, Brian McKenzie sat to my left. And it was funny because, you know, Greg Glassman was teaching all the certs then. And I remember being up there with him. And uh, I, but even before that, I remember um, really seeking out the best there was. So when I left 24 and I was still out of my garage, uh, I, would, I would frequently go up to Wichita Falls to train with Mark Ripito. And a lot of people... I mean, this isn't this isn't a uh, anything new. I'm telling people: you either love Coach Ribato or you hate him. He's the author of Starting Strength, which I still believe is the highest grossing selling fitness book there is. But when I went up there, man, he really opened his arms up with full hospitality to me. I uh, I trained up there. He he trained me in in powerlifting and. I'm telling you, that's, you have to take advantage of the opportunities. That's where, that's the only reason I'm at where I'm at is because I've taken advantage of the opportunities placed in front of me. If somebody says, Hey, you know, we'll take you in to train and whatnot. I'm there. You know, uh, I mean, I'll tell some more stories later about that, but coach Ripito was very, very gracious to me. But uh, anyhow, getting back to all this, because I know I'm getting sidetracked telling the story, but it's an absolute must because it, it's part of the journey. And um, so now, you know, being at the CrossFit cert, uh, I'm there with everyone. And, you know, when you go to CrossFit cert, CrossFit certification, it's basically, um, you know, the big thing is you're doing Fran. It's this, you know, Fran is the workout that made CrossFit like, very popular, so to speak, or one of them. And, you know, it's 21 pull-ups, 21 thrusters, 15 pull-ups, 15 thrusters, nine pull-ups, nine thrusters. And, um, you know, you're actually doing the thrusters first, but at the time there was like so many people doing this. And, um, so I was like pretty excited to do it. And my very first friend that I ever did you got to remember, I was doing strength and conditioning the whole time, right? Anyways, and uh, I, I did it. I did it, and I rattled it off in like three minutes, like under right at three minutes, which is a pretty fast time, especially for your first time doing it. And I will never forget this. I remember people saying, "You must CrossFit all the time," and I was absolutely baffled, and I still don't know what the hell that means. Like they're like, you must CrossFit all the time. And I'm like, no, I mean, I train, I, 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 I strength train and, you know, I eat right. And, you know, uh, you know, I do all my lifts and I train all my metabolic pathways and this and that. But as far as the term, you must CrossFit all the time, right? I don't know it, but now I tell people, you know, there's no uh, definition for CrossFit, but you know, when you see it, right. But let let me, let's switch gears. And I want to ask you what draws you to fitness. It's obvious you're passionate. What draws mm-hmm. you to, to fitness? Well, drawing, I mean, that's, you know, that's all part of it is along this journey, I, uh, 
I saw how much it helped people. I believe in it to my heart and soul. I look at fitness like a health and fitness as a religion, right? Um, a lot of people will tell you, you always hear this cliche, oh, it's a, it's a lifestyle. Yeah, but are you really living it? You know, um, part of that fitness journey, getting out of the uh, garage, right, and into the MMA gym. And um, I trained at that MMA gym for three months, and I went back to my garage, right? The second time I went to my garage, I got I, I did a full commercial equipment garage, and my goal was to get people uh, or get the HOA to start writing me letters to uh, say that I couldn't run a business out of my garage. Well, when I went back, now I'm training around 30-plus-odd people, right? And that's exactly what happened about eight months later. And um, like I said, part of this, uh, part of the answer to your question is explaining the journey because you have to understand how much time and dedication and I would say how much sacrifice you, you have to give. If you truly want to be a gym owner, you truly want to understand what living the lifestyle is and what truly helping people is, you, you have to understand the journey. And that's why I have to go back to the story of the second time in my garage, I, um, I, I started getting letters from the HOA saying, hey, what are you doing? You got like 30 plus people running around your freaking block, biking, cycling, and people, you know, and to, to tell you a funny story, um, at one point in time, who was paying my bills and I was making a ton of money off of, I was training strippers from St. James. You would come over to my house and there would be $100,000 vehicles in this entry-level neighborhood, like up and down the block. And, you know, Daniel Fielder showing up three hours before his training session to help me out. And, you know, we have these people running down, these girls running down the street, uh, with minimal clothes and every guy in the garage, you know, in the neighborhood is sitting in his garage with a beer drinking and watching this training going on. So that's what I kind of attribute probably the HOA being called, right? The wives got upset. They're like, all right, this guy's going overboard. But, but anyhow, so that's what happened. And I knew I couldn't afford not to get a place. Okay. Cause now I'm training a ton of people. Uh, the HOA's contacted me. So the first place I get was off of my, or off of I-45 feeder. And it's an 1800 square foot place, kind of set up like the place we're in now, but you know, I have gym space and I have office area. And this is where it got really interesting because this is where I affiliated with CrossFit. Uh, like I said, I was the third one in this area, man, it started blowing up. Uh, within a year and a half, I built that to 150 people, but within that year and a half, there was a lot of things that happened that shaped me that, uh, you know, you just have to understand, you know, nothing I have done, nothing, there's not really too many things in the, in the fitness industry that you can say you created. Okay. Um, like CrossFit, CrossFit was extremely innovative, right? They changed the way people looked at fitness. I remember going to the first Phil Fest. Okay. This is where a lot of things started changing. And I'll kind of explain to you from my family life to my belief in fitness, to CrossFit. And first and foremost, 
I'll, I'll talk about the CrossFit side. Every year they have this thing called Phil Fest, okay? <clears throat> it's where all the affiliates get together. And this particular year, it was at the, um, it was in Austin, Texas, okay? And this is at the very beginning. This is less than 300 affiliates still, okay? And I go up there and... I go up there with a, a buddy of mine uh, at the time. His name was Adam, but I had just affiliated with CrossFit. I would say this is about six months in. I start seeing some things that are very funny, opposed to my beliefs in fitness. Um, and then from there, man, and I don't want to sound negative because it's not. I still believe, like I said, CrossFit was is extremely innovative. They changed the way people looked at fitness. And, you know, I remember Greg Glassman at PhilFest asked me, Scott, what do you want to do with CrossFit? And, man, I had been around people, like-minded individuals, you know, training together. We had found this thing that was going to change the world. And that's exactly what CrossFit did. It was so innovative that it changed the language of fitness. You don't go to the gym. You go to the box. You don't train. You do the wad, the workout of the day. So kudos to CrossFit, you know, and I think a lot of people think I don't like CrossFit. It was, I feel the, you know, the beginning members of CrossFit made it what it was today. And I'm proud to be part of that journey. Um, But at the same time, I think the opinion would be uh, highly regarded and accepted that it got, it spiraled out of control where anybody could be a trainer, You know, if you went to Cambridge, if you went to the best business schools in the world, Oxford, Harvard, they would probably tell you, right, when the beginning members of the gym, right, or or sorry, of the movement start saying things like, it's not like it was in the beginning. That is a sure sign of companies moving in in a direction that you might not want to be in. Now, look, they can have the, like most people generate the highest revenues that they've ever generated. But if you hear that from the beginning members, I feel that's a sure sign <clears throat> a company is moving in the wrong direction. Now, it's it's a huge company. Are you going to get people like that? Sure. But anyhow, so Greg Glassman at this PhilFest asked me, what do you want to do with this certification? I said, man, I want to change the world. That's I, I've always wanted to do that. Change the world through health and fitness. And I wrote about it. I joke around. I said, Greg Glassman beat me to it. But this isn't a one-man show. It takes a lot of people from opposing backgrounds with opposing thoughts. But the goal is to get everyone better. It doesn't matter if you go right and I go left and you go center. We still got to get to the top. And that is, and guess what? It's a mountain that we are are fighting a, uh, you know, an uphill battle. Because even as we speak right now, obesity, disease, all this shit is at the highest rate that it's at, right? My gym is is flourishing. It's doing well. It's just not doing well enough. We need about another 100 million of my gyms to combat this. But, man, I know I'm talking about a lot of shit off the subject. But like I said, it's part of the journey, right? So getting getting back to being at my my gym, right? One of the things that has shaped me is I I put so much time and dedication into it, right? That 
I knew this was my calling. Okay. Um, I mean, you have talked about this before, whether it's something of a higher power, whether it's fate, whether it's coincidence, this is what I'm, I'm on earth to help people through their health and fitness. I'm on earth to help get people to understand, be the best version of themselves through health and fitness, plain and simple. You know, I can't do anything else. Now, I think being at that Phil Fest that year opened my eyes to a lot of things because, like I said, this, I'm not trying to sound negative, but at the Phil Fest, they, Greg Glassman's up there talking, and uh, he raises his hand. I mean, sorry, he asks everybody to raise their hand and says, who has a certification from this, this, this uh, corporation? And a lot of people raise their hands, and that was ACE, NASM, all that stuff, right? Well, at the time, the NSCA, the National Strength Conditioning Association, had a, had a particular certification called the CSCS. I believe Mark Ripito was the first one or one of the first ones to sit for it, okay? It's the um, can, uh, CSCS stands for, what is it, uh, conditioning? Some, some, man, it stands for something. But anyhow, you had to have a four-year certification, I mean, sorry, four-year degree to even sit for this, this, the certification, right? So as he asked, who has uh, NSCA, the CPT, Certified Personal Trainer? A lot of hands went down because, you know, at the time it was a pretty good start to get. Then he asked, who has the CSCS? A lot of hands went down. And there was like, at the time, like literally three hands that were up out of like, say, 300 people, okay? Because like I said, it was a tough one to get. And we just got through doing like all the CrossFit certification stuff. And he asked this guy, and I don't know who he is. I just remember what he says. He goes, what'd you learn at the CSCS? And he goes, I didn't learn shit. And everybody started cheering. And I'm thinking to myself, like, hang on. If you didn't learn shit, you had to get a four-year degree to go for it. You had to get the CPT to sit for it. And then it was a rigorous course. If you didn't learn anything, who's the dummy? You see what I'm saying? And everybody's cheering. And this is where I saw... Are, you know, are these people so blinded that this is like, are they the bridge jumpers, right? Glassman tells them to jump off the bridge. They'll jump off the bridge without asking questions. And I, and I turned to my friend. I'm telling you this. We just got there. We've been sitting there for about three hours now. I turned to my friend and I said, hey, I'm, I'm leaving. You know, he said, what do you mean? I said, I'm leaving. I'm going back to the woodlands. I said, do you want to come or not? He said, why? What are you doing? What are you talking about? He's like, we've been here a few hours. I said, dude, if these are the people that are the competition, I, I don't, I don't think I want to be a part of this, you know, because if this is our competition, I know I can do better for myself. The, they're like cheering on idiocracy, you know? And, uh, it's like, have you ever watched the movie Idiocracy and Terry Crews is up there, you know, saying all this crazy, just idiotic shit and the whole crowd is going crazy. And that's what I felt I was in. And like I said, I'm not being rude. I'm just trying to make like a funny little joke of it. But 
I, I was being serious. I left. I came back here, and this is where Lift Strong, Run Fast kind of originated. So if you ask me, what is Lift Strong, Run Fast? It is a methodology that I originated. It was my personal expression on what I felt health and fitness should be. And there was a lot of failure to get to this point, a lot of failure, because you see that the program is very efficient now. There was a lot of uh, time spent, time lost, late nights, staying up, early mornings, waking up to, I would say, somewhat perfected. Things are never going to be perfected, but it's damn close and it's good. And I feel it is the best general physical fitness program in the world. I 100% feel that. It's not because I'm cocky. It's because I'm, I'm very confident about what I have learned from people that have come before me. I took all the things that I learned that were good. I put them into a program and a methodology that the only reason I'm good is because I follow this stuff day in and day out, you know, and it's consistency, which is now what are the four principles I have four principles that Live Strong Run Fast is based on. The first one is discipline. The second one is recovery. The third one is balance. And the fourth one is longevity. And we can go in and we can talk about those even further where discipline, you could probably file time management under discipline. You always hear people give excuses. Oh, I don't have enough time and I don't do this. And you hear if you don't make time, you know, you'll make an, if you don't have, if you don't find time or find the discipline to make time, you'll find time to make an excuse, right? The recovery portion of that is built directly into the programming because what Live Strong Run Fast is, is a recovery based strength and conditioning program. That's how we can train so hard 52 weeks out of the year because we're constantly recovering. The third one with the balance is when I talk about balance, I'm not just talking about training your left, your right, your front to back, your metabolic pathways and energy systems, making them all balance. I'm talking about that other thing outside of the gym. The real important thing called life. Are you balanced in that? Are you a good husband? Are you a good worker? Are you a good friend? Are you a good father? You know, because those things go far beyond the gym and people, you know, people tend to get so wrapped up in the gym as a lifestyle that they forget about the, the, the more important one outside the gym. And the last one being consistency. What is the equation for consistency? Uh, you know, I'm sorry. What is, um, what is the equation for longevity? It's consistency over intensity and, with long, when I say longevity, 
you know, are you in here getting injured? Are you better? You know how I know longevity works? Because I get a gentleman telling me that I've been in the military, I've been playing high school sports, and at the at approaching 40, I'm in the best shape I've ever been in. You ever heard of that person? Yeah. Yeah, right? That's right. So the longevity I know is there because of the recovery-based strength and conditioning program. Yeah, that's, that's good, man. I want to, I've seen, I've personally seen you, I think I uh, saw you put 300 pounds over your head and then a couple weeks later you ran 18 miles straight. Is that your idea of, of successful fitness or kind of talk about like how you see success and fitness? Okay. And that's pretty dynamic for somebody. Yeah. Who <laughs> like that, man. Yeah. I, uh, you know, um, I always talk about success and happiness are two very different things, right? Um, and even being successful, it's, uh, if you think success is fancy thing, things and material, you know, like diamond rings and all this kind of stuff, it's a mindset, you know, um, I'm the most successful person I know. And I say that with no cockiness, you know, not being arrogant. It's because it's the mindset. I love my schedule. You know, if someone sat here and think about this, I'll, t- I'll tell you a story about three different kinds of people that I, th- this is what I feel. The first type of person is someone who absolutely loves what they do, but they, they probably don't make money or a living doing it. That's why you hear this term starving artists, right? There are people who paint, who draw and, they never really make it big until they're dead, right? But um, but guess what? They love what they do. Those people are happy. Those people are successful. The second type of person is someone who, who wants to do what they love, but they can't. So they settle for something that earns them a paycheck. Now, the third type of person, okay? And this is where I feel I fall. is someone that does what they love. And they make a living doing it, okay? Let me ask you this. Where do you think America is at today? The the Society of America, where do you think it's at? Most of them are settling for a paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. And with that being said, like I said, I look at health and fitness on a very, very deep level. Not just physical. You You might look like you're in shape, right? But I don't give a shit about how, what your muscles look like. You You can be a Christmas tree, right? You look good, but are you functional? You know, because now, you know, your, your mental health should be stronger than your physical health because the mind should be stronger than the body, right? If the mind's stronger than the body, that's the first key to success in my opinion, right? The, we look at it on a chemical level. Look at these people going to work or or in, in, uh, number two right? In that second group, people are waking up. Let's take the day of a typical person in, in group two, wake up running late for work, right? Well, right there, cortisol goes through the roof. Take an hour. Let's say they commute from the woodlands to Houston. That's an, that's an hour commute. Why? Because traffic sucks. So they sit there and they're like, fuck, I hate this traffic every fucking day. I got to be in this traffic cortisol goes through the roof and then they get to work. They hate their boss. They hate their coworkers. 
cortisol goes up. They can't take a lunch because now they're running late, cortisol goes up. Then they're tired. Guess what they're doing? They're just waiting to get off. They're not working. They're not living. They're dying. Cortisol goes up. Another hour of traffic back to the woodlands, cortisol goes up. And let's hypothetically take someone like a single mother that has to go pick up their kids, has to make, you know, help with homework, has to help with uh, making dinner or shit, no, no help. They're single, right? So cortisol is in their system all day. There is, you know, and when cortisol is, is in your system all day, it's very infectious. You're, you get dark circles underneath your eyes. Your hair turns gray. You get crabby as shit, right? You snap at your kids. This is not a life of someone who's successful. And more importantly, that's not happiness at all because of this. People are just settling for shit that they don't want to do, right? You got to, I've always told myself, you got to make yourself happy because if you're not happy for yourself, you won't make anybody else happy. You know, I'm a, you, you always hear me say, you know, I'm the proud owner of Lift Strong Run Fast, but more importantly, I'm the proud father of four beautiful children, you know, and look, I don't win those battles every day, but it's because I make myself happy and I do what I love that. I am absolutely happy with my children and my family because if I wasn't doing what I love, Scott is no good for anyone. So being successful is, is a mindset first and foremost, being happy is something completely different. You know, yeah, you might be successful in somebody's eyes that you earn a lot of money and have things or whatnot. And how many times do we see those people kill themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I look at it as a, as a, as an, like as a whole, as a totality where I always say, if I'm injured outside the gym in my family life or something, I'm injured in the gym. I don't want to do shit. You know, my sleep goes, goes to shit. My training goes to shit, you know? And, um, but guess what? If, if I, if I, uh, you think I'd be able to put 300 pounds over my head and go run eight, 18 miles. If I, if I wasn't happy, if I wasn't successful, you know, like, because like I said, if I was injured outside the gym, I couldn't do those things and doing, doing those things are silly. Anybody can do those things, you know, but can you come in here and understand, be truthful to yourself, be self-sufficient, you know, cause look, you're going to get people talking shit. You're going to get people leaving, saying terrible things about you. It is inevitable. That's the world we live in. Are you able to understand that you have the power, that your voice is strong, and you can turn around and say, you know what? I wish you the best of luck, even if you wish me the opposite. That's what true success is right there. That's powerful. Yeah. It, let me, let's go down that road a little bit. You've had, since you've started uh, Lift Strong Run Fast or even back in the day, you've had a lot of people spin off of mm-hmm. the gym and go out and start uh, other gyms. How do you view that? Man, I'm, I'm proud of that, you know, and, uh, you know, I was, I was interviewed by a college student about being an entrepreneur 
and I and I found it funny because you know he says, "Man, what makes you successful? What like what? How do you operate a, a good gym?" I said, "Man, I don't know. I just get people results and be cool with them, and you know, make them. You know, in our in our uh, in our mission statement, one of the things that says we want this to be the best part of your day. You know, for the last." 15 years, I've opened up the garage doors, not for myself, but for other people. And I know it's because we want that. We want them to come in here and have it be the best part of their day. So, uh, getting back to this interview, this question was actually asked already. And, um, at the time it's a, it's a two part question. He said, man, doesn't, uh, these people have spun off, you know, I, I believe we've had 35, 36 people leave this gym and start their own gyms. And he said, doesn't that make you angry? And this young kid asking me this stuff. And I said, no, man. I said, uh, the answer I'm going to give you, I only learned in time. Right. And I told him, I said, you'll understand later. You're a young kid now, but you'll understand later. I said, it makes me proud. He said, well, why does it make you proud? I said, well, you got to look at it from a different viewpoint. As a leader, that is what I'm supposed to do. And guess what? We're going we're gonna to inspire people to go start their own gyms because that's what leaders do. We don't bring people down. We inspire people to go chase what they believe. So to me, you know, when people ask you, this is the dumbest question I, I see. It's like, how many followers do you have on Facebook or how many followers do you have on Instagram? It's, it's a very skewed question, right? It's the, the followers don't matter. The function of leadership is to build more leaders, not more followers. So when you ask me that, I turn around and say, I, I think it's a skewed question. You should be asking how many people have you inspired to go start their own thing? You know, and that's why I go to sleep good at night because I know I don't try to screw people over. At the same time, you got to understand that, you know, I am Scott Wells. I have this mentality that you can go have a hundred of those people. It's not going to make one of me, you know, and why is that? It's, you know, I always talk about the first part of that question that he asked. I never talk about the second part and I'll talk about it now, actually. And he says, aren't you nervous? Like, I said, nervous for what? He said, you know, like, you're going to lose, like, market share and you're going to lose revenue. And look, man, there was, there was a point in time where I had 300 members and I was making $30,000 a month. I don't make that kind of money anymore. I, I can and I will again. But I never looked at it once as, oh, my gosh, this, this uh, ship is sinking, <laughs> like, jump ship. No, the captain stays on the ship, right? And we get it steering back back on course. But so the second half of that question, he said, are you nervous? And I said, for what? He said, you know, losing market share, losing this, losing that. I said, man, let me explain something to you. For the last 15 years of my life, I've woke up at 4 in the morning to open the doors for people at 5 a.m. I said, these people aren't willing to do that. Even, you know... I, I, and I had a guy at the 5 a.m. tell me, Scott, I can't, uh, I can't make it any other time but 4 a.m. I said, cool, I'll, I'll wake up at 3. I'll meet you here at 4. So I wake up at 3. I get here, do my thing. 3.45 comes around. 
see, I got to be here at 345 because one of the things that my uh, coach Johnson, my my uh, junior year coach, that man really instilled a lot of things into me. You know, I would say besides my parents, this guy was a, a mentor to me. And he told me, uh, if you're if you're on time, you're 15 minutes late. So I get here at 345. No one shows up. I said, OK, not everybody thinks like me. No big deal. I'll wait till four. Four o'clock, no one shows up. I said, you know what? Maybe I'll give him 15 minutes, right? And uh, 4.15, no one shows up. I leave. I go get breakfast. I come back, open to, uh, you know, uh, open up at 5 a.m. He's here. He said, Scott, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't make it. Um, I, I overslept. I said, man, we talked about this. You know, we had uh, we talked about this four, four days in a row. I said, I'm not mad, though. And, you know, everybody in class is giving him shit, you know, for, not, for stand, standing me up, basically. I said, that's okay, because if you want to do a 3 a.m., I'll wake up at 2 and come up here. You know, no problem. That's not an issue for me. Well, the other night, like I said, when I ran the 18, right, I actually did that. I went and parked my car in Willis at uh, 12 o'clock at night because I needed to see if I had the mental fortitude to be tired and still do what I need to do. So I wanted to challenge myself. So I parked the car there and I ran through the whole night, got here. It was like, it was like 16 or 18 miles, something like that. But I started in Willis. I got here. I got here, you know, right at four something, opened up the doors and started class. Well, here's the answer to that second part of the question. Am I, am I nervous? Absolutely not. Because there's people that aren't willing to wake up at four to do a five. There are people that are not willing to wake up at three to get stood up at four and turn around and tell you that's okay. I'll wake up at two if you need to do a three. And for damn sure, there are people not willing to run through the whole fucking night, get here, open up the doors for other people and say, that was my warm up. Now the day starts. Let's get it. Once I once I find that person, I'll be nervous. Yeah. Until then, I'm good. So what? Yeah, that's good, man. So what do you when people tell you they're going to leave the gym and start their own gym? What's your advice to them? Let's say we got somebody out there that's thinking about getting <laughs> yeah. into the fitness industry and starting a gym. What, what's uh-huh. your advice to them? I would now. I would say don't do it. <laughs> it's like you know a lot of people, and and I have to be truthful, right? I've always been truthful about every single thing I've done, whether that's. Um, success, drug use, family, whatever. I have always been truthful because this is the thing you can't, if, if you're trans, I, I believe in the uh, honest goodness of people. If you are not transparent in business, people will see right through you. People see through bullshit, right? And if you are bullshitting people, you, you, you better start packing up your bags because people will see through it. So when somebody asks me that, I, I have to be transparent. You know, I can tell you what I've done. Are you willing? You know, and there was a guy that was here that actually asked me a question, and he started his own gym. It's closed down now. And he said, Scott, how do I get, this was years ago, how do I get to where you're at? And like I said, I'm not going to say any names, but he had a, he had, he had a, a daughter. And, um, I said, well, your daughter, are you willing to see her 30 minutes a day for the first two years of her life? He said, no. I said, you can't get to where I'm at then. Because part of that journey 
that I talked about when I opened up my gym, I use this thing that Dave Tate, uh, he's the, uh, the owner of elite FTS. Okay. And I saw, and all I have ever done is I see these things that people do and I turn around and I make them mine. And he has this continuum that he uses and it goes from shitty to sucks, sucks to good, good to great. Well, I just turn around and I use the 400 meter as a litmus test for this continuum. So I said, man, if we're running to 490 seconds, we can all agree that's pretty shitty. And to go from shitty to sucks, there's about 30 steps, okay? And this is the thing. People are willing to take those steps because no one wants to be shitty. So what are those steps? They're real simple. Consistency, get to the gym, show up, right? If you want to do anything great in life, you have to show up first. Second one, you know, is eat right you know, uh, take recover, you know, the equation doesn't change. These steps are simple. And let's say you do do this for three months and you take these steps and now you're at sucks. Now you're running the 480 seconds and you just suck now. Right. And there's 30 steps to go from sucks to good. And guess what? People want to take those steps because no one wants to suck. And here's the kicker. These steps, the, the, they don't change. They just have to be more disciplined, right? So people are willing to do that. They take these steps, and all of a sudden, what happens is they uh, turn around, and they are willing to take these steps, and they get to uh, great. I mean, sorry, to, they, they go from shitty to sucks, and you take these steps, and you get to uh, uh, good, right? And when people get to good, I am ecstatic. I love that, right? Because now you're running the the 470 seconds. And uh, here's another kicker. How do you go from good to great? It's not 30 steps. It's three. Three steps. But those are the cruelest mistress steps there are. Those are the ones where you're on Mount Everest and you have to take a step and you have to climatize and you have to rest before taking one damn step, right? So... I always talk about my story. So when I was in my first gym, you know, how did I go from running? Cause I, you know, when I was in high school, I ran track and I ran 48 into 400, you know, I was somewhat quick. Right. And then I, at 30 years old, I was running with Derek brew. The world, the world record was held by Michael Johnson at the time he was running. The world record then was 43, one, eight. Amazingly fast. Derek ran it in 44.29. He won a gold in Athens and a bronze in Athens uh, in the 4x4 and won a a bronze in the the Open 400. So I was running with him. At 30 years old, I was running the 450 seconds flat. How did I get there? How did I go from 70 to 60? Like I said, I told this guy, are you willing to see your kids 30 minutes a day? I tell people I became socially retarded. I didn't know anything outside the gym. I didn't want to know anything outside the gym. I slept on the floor at the gym. I, uh, you know, I went through a lot of tough times, but I was running 60 seconds in the 400. I had had dedicated so much time to my business 
right? The second one was I, uh, I went through a divorce, you know, I'll never forget getting served my divorce papers, teaching a class, man, you know, and, uh, where was I going? So, you know, like I said, sometimes this stuff gets emotional for me, Mm -hmm. but I was, uh, I was running 55 seconds in the 400 now, you know, I had dedicated so much time. I went through a divorce and, Challenges make you stronger, huh, man? Wanna pause it? So, like I said, I get emotional. How did I get running? Uh, how did I get to 50 seconds? You know, I, I tried to perfect a craft. Uh, the journey to doing this, I lost my kids. Oh, man. That shit's always hard for me to talk about. Yeah. Because. uh, You know, in hindsight, would I do it again? (laughs) I don't know, man. Mm -hmm. You know, what you're seeing now is pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, just just some behind-the-scenes information. I was out working out in the gym. Mm -hmm. This was probably about three months ago, and... One of the guys out there, good buddy of mine, I won't mention his name, but uh, he said, you know, we were sit- we're working out in the, and, and hitting the weights, and mm-hmm. we see this little toolkit that was on one of the benches, and he yeah. looks over at it, and he says, you know, there, if you can deny a lot about Scott Wells, but you can't deny that he's a good father, because yeah. he sees you out there spending time with your kids in the gym, they're riding through on their tricycles, they're playing with their tool mm-hmm. sets, so I want you to know sometimes we judge ourselves harshly. Yeah. Harder than anybody else, man. Well, it's good. Maybe, uh, you know, if I, if, if I continue to be a good father, I'll die a happy man. Then nothing else matters. That's right. Yeah. But, but yeah, you know, like I said, I, it, that stuff is emotional for me to talk about. Cause I know the time and effort I put in and I, I see the sacrifices I've made to, you know, Jocko Willing talks about the, uh, you know, your, your disciplines equal your freedoms, you know, and sometimes those disciplines are, are tough. You know, you have to give up a lot. And like I said, I'm, I'm not perfect. I don't win those battles. I was, uh, you know, I, I still look at being a father as my number one priority. Right. But, but it's funny because I've made this thing called a death goal. Okay. And I advise everybody to do it because um, I don't think, at least in the uh, American culture, I think a lot of people fear death Mm -hmm. and, you know, they don't make it part of life. And uh, the thing is, 
like I hate, sometimes I don't even like to talk about living and dying because it almost sounds like you're bragging, but I'm not. When I see every day I wake up, what do you think I do? You bust out of the bed and open the gym. Exactly. But what I'm really doing is living every single day because I love what I do. I, uh, and that's hard to explain to someone who's dying, who's sitting in traffic, right? Who's sitting that doesn't like their work coworkers, that doesn't like their boss, that's stressed out making, going to get their kids and all kinds of stuff, right? And, but what I do every day is live. And part of that is understanding death. Like I said, I've, what I've done is made a death goal. I have my LSRF um, logo. And what I want to do is go make, you know, four or five foot tombstone of it. And I want their, you know, I want 1978, you know, dash. When I die, I'll just get the, get it engraved on there. And I, and I don't want to be looked at as a coach. I want to be looked at as a humanitarian of health and fitness. You know, some of my some of my heroes, right? If you're asking about that, like I, um, you know, Nelson Mandela, Dalai Lama, um, you know, Lee Kuan Yew, Gandhi, these people are humanitarians and they, uh, they did a lot for the world. And that's what I want to view myself as, as someone who can do a lot for the world because I know Live Strong Run Fast can help humanity. If I bottle it up, and keep it to myself. You asked about success. What success is, is when I was younger, I tried to bottle it up and keep it to myself. When people talk bad about it, I felt I had to stand up for it. Right. But when, when it became extremely successful is when I said, you know what? I, I, I reap the benefits of it. I don't want it anymore. I want you to have it so you can be in the best shape of your life at 36. I want everyone else to have it so they can be in the best shape of their life and they can be healthy and they can be fit. When I started giving it away, that's when it started exploding. That's when I would say it took it to like a more of a worldwide scale. But, but yeah, that's where, you know, you know, that's success as well. Just understanding that there's a, there's a famous story about a uh, guy running the marathon. And at the very end, the guy, uh, the winner's fixing the win and he hurts his leg, you know, and he's hobbling and he can't get to the, you know, the guy that was behind him passes him up and he's fixing the win and he stops, right? He knew the guy would have beat him. So he goes back puts him on his shoulder. They both hobble through the finish line alone or together. I mean, you see when you can go back and help someone else finish together, that is when you truly understand humanity. When it's when you help others finish first that you actually finish first in that game called life. And that's really where 
I, I just want to go back and get people. I'm going back. I'm getting people. I'm helping them get through their goals. I'm going back. I'm getting people. The only really, the real thing I'm doing is, you know, trying to make my voice an inspiration. You know, that's why, that's why I openly help people, you know, every day. It's because we're constantly going back and getting people and helping them cross the finish line. That's good, man. Thanks for sharing that with us. Appreciate that. Um, you talked about uh, failures, you know, being important in your life. Mm-hmm. And if we went back to when you were at 24 hour fitness mm-hmm. and you never got put in that room with those managers, yeah. you never got fired. The question that you, that do you, do you ever ponder if you would be here today? You ever thought about that? It's, uh, you know, I, I think back even further, further than that. Because coming out of um, coming out of high school, I actually had a full scholarship scholarship to West Point University, and I look back and I never understood how prestigious that is, right? And uh, I turned it down at the time because I'm like, you know, I didn't want to live that lifestyle, you know. Um, I'm originally from Singapore. I was born in Singapore, and when I turned 18, I had to make the decision to either be a Singapore citizen or a, an American citizen. And I chose American citizen because I didn't want to serve at the time, not because I wasn't able to serve or scared to serve. It's because at that point in my time, I dedicated my life to basketball. And uh, like I had this dream of playing in college and I had finally gotten multiple offers to play at you know, different colleges. And like I said, I went, I went to this school in uh, Kansas and, you know, that's why I chose to be an American citizen. So I can, if I, if I chose Singapore, I had to go back and serve for two years. But, um, and I always tell myself, well, what if I would have went to West Point or what if I would have went into the army, which coming out of high school, I actually went and tried to go to the army and, for some reason, they gave me some kind of discharge. Until this day, I don't know what it is, but I remember going to MEPS and they didn't, you know, take me. Passed all the tests with flying colors. The physical test was, you know, I used to run 10 miles before school every day. And, like, the physical stuff was never an issue to me. And uh, I even tell myself, if I would have got drafted, or not drafted, sorry, if I would have went into the military, if I would have went to school here, there, whatever... It wouldn't matter. I'm sitting here talking with you right now. This is exactly where I'm, where I would be, you know, um, cause this is the thing. We don't live in a world of what ifs we live in a world of what is, and what is happening is live strong, run fast is very much a part of me. And I feel it's very much a part of you. We need to make it very much a part of many people now. So they can feel the success that we have felt. And yeah, we would, like I said, yeah, I, I, I hardly ever ponder on the past, you know? Yeah. We can look back and say, man, in hindsight, I wish this would have happened or this and that. But one of the things I've been talking a lot about is people are so caught up in the present, right? And, um, I'll kind of talk about what I personally have been doing lately. I've been doing a lot of 
yoga, spiritual type seeking, right? Um, and, you know, a lot of people talk about getting stronger as their main focus. And to me, it's very backwards. I've done that. Like you said, I've, you know, at 200 pounds, I, I deadlifted like 635. I benched 405 for a double. I squatted 550. And this was like 10 years ago. Like I'm put, I was putting up numbers back then, you know, and the thing was, those numbers sound impressive, but you do the drugs I was doing and you can put those fucking numbers up also. Here's the thing. I shared with you something a while back where I understand now what true strength is and it's not putting up a lot of weight, right? It's mental strength. I have all that shit out of my system. Now I'm dangerous. This is the most dangerous I've been because I'm calm. I'm still, I, I'm focused. I know exactly where I want to bring the business. I know exactly what type of father, what type of boyfriend, what type of friend, what type of mentor. I understand my voice has tremendous reach and I know I can inspire. So it's now that I'm dangerous. I don't do any drugs. I don't do, you know, any of that stuff. It's all out of my system. But like I said, I, myself, now I've been doing a lot of spiritual healing, personal healing. I'm going more for mobility and flexibility. So yeah, you can squat all this weight and deadlift all this weight. And I kind of have a joke that I say, I'm like, well, what's your mile time? But I absolutely, it's, it's a joke, but I absolutely believe it, you know, and there's people who don't understand it just yet. You know, people will put on their like, Hey, this guy runs a six minute mile who, but who gives a fuck? You don't give a fuck until you have to give a fuck, right? When is the last time you saw an insurance company give you a rate decrease, you know, deduct, uh, deduction in your, in your uh, rate for having a big deadlift? But if you can go run a nine-minute mile, they'll help you out. That thing in your chest called your heart, it's not just there for looks. You better care about it. It keeps you alive. And, yeah, they, it's, just a, it's just a funny thing, man, because since I have been doing a lot of this, um, since I've been doing yoga, you know, I understand resistance isn't strength. Think about that. You know, put your arm up real quick. Don't let me pull your arm down. You see, you're resisting, right? Just relax for a minute. This is actually true strength right here. When you learn to let go, when you learn to surrender, when you learn to breathe, now your body will be able to be capable of things that it wasn't before. Try stretching and holding your breath. See what happens. You just tighten up. And that's the thing. As you're chasing this goal of just getting purely strong, People are actually limiting the range of motion that their bodies can go in because they're tight. So like I said, the what do we always talk about here? Go full range of motion. That's stretch afterward. Yeah, flexibility, mobility. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing now to me is mental strength because like I said, your mind should be stronger than the body. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's good, man. That, that uh, Let's talk about that kind of total body health. Mm-hmm. Well, let, actually, I want to back up and talk about you said that uh, this is your calling. Oh yeah, people. It's your call. Did you realize that? Begin, you know, uh, initially, did you, have you known that for a long time, or how, how did that come about? And where do you think that calling comes from? Mm-hmm. 
man, I, I'd like to, I, I guess I would like to talk about kind of like my, my own spiritual journey, right? And me and you have talked about this a lot, being a, a former pastor, uh, and even, uh, there's a gentleman by the name of David Summerlin that he used to train with me and he has left and started his own gym called serving fit. And David was, was a pastor as well. You know, he's done all kinds of stuff from prison ministry to, I mean, just, I would say trying to save me, <laughs> but, um, you know, I would say there's some influential people in my life, you included, that have made me see things that, um, that are interesting to me. Interesting because, you know, one of the things David always told me, you know, um, cause for the longest time I was a non-believer and I'm not saying I'm an absolute believer now, but at least there's a possibility. He always told me, God has a higher purpose for you than this. And this, and what he was talking about with this is helping people. See, and I tried to, I'm a very analytical person. And I looked at that and I said, man, what's he mean by that? Because I see this as the highest thing, right? And he's saying God has a higher purpose. So do, you know, when do I, you know, I, I look at things as very philosophical as well. You know, like it's not coincidence that I'm here. You know, it's hard work. It's determination. It's, uh, there's people that have come into my life, yourself included, that have, uh, made me understand why I'm here. You know, why am I here? Is it to just be a good father? You know, is it to be a bad father? You know, to me, I answer that question with no, but I'm here to help people you know, and I don't know where that comes from. I don't have an answer to that because it's beyond my realm. Hmm. You know, I'm here to serve and I don't know what, um, I don't know who, who it is just yet. You know, I'm on that never ending journey and I might not find it until I'm on my deathbed, but you know, I, uh, yeah, I, I can't answer that because I, like I said, I, I don't know when I realized that. Like I said, we're living in a not a, a time of what if, it's what is. And what is is I'm here, I'm doing it. I'll be here tomorrow doing it. I'll be here later doing it. So, yeah, that's that's the way I look at it. Yeah, there's something I heard and you, you saying that somebody told you you have a higher purpose. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you uh, rationalize that now, but there's mm -hmm. something that I heard that could speak uh, alternatively to that. And it's mm -hmm. something from uh, Rick Warren when he was doing his Ted talk back mm -hmm. then, he did this like 15 years ago. He said, God smiles uh -huh. when we are ourselves. Mm -hmm. And if you're put here on this earth to inspire people through fitness, I believe God's smiling on that mm -hmm. because he created you for that purpose. Definitely. So there's a lot of different ways to think yeah. about that. And I think people can get hung up theologically. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and, and I don't, you know, I don't look at things like that. I look at it like, um, the message. It doesn't matter if you're Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, whatever, or the, is the message good? You know, I remember, you know, as a non-believer, I still told you a thing that, you know, God gives his 
hardest task to his strongest soldiers, right? Mm -hmm. And the message is phenomenal, you know, because when you're going through hard times, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you, you pray and you, you know, for me, it may be meditating. It might be, you know, those, uh, those hard times is, you know, what gets, you know, it makes you stronger, right? I mean, we're adults. If we don't inherently know that by now, I think there's like, you know, you have, you haven't done yourself a, uh, you've done yourself a disservice, you know, it's one of the things I said is if I can help humanity and I, you know, if I have something that can help people and I don't, that's a disservice to humanity. And <clears throat> I've always been in the thought of if I live my life correctly, you know, and that, that statement could be different for a lot of people, you know, I believe something at the end, the end result, something good will happen, you know, uh, if we're speaking biblically, you know, whether that's going to heaven, you know, if we're speaking alternatively, whether that is, um, reincarnation, whatever it might be, I, I believe something good will happen, you know, but, you know, me and you spoke about this and years ago, if you spoke to me about the Bible, I'd be like, absolutely not. It's, you know, it's bullshit, but through the, you know, that's when I was younger, some, you know, some lessons you only learn with time, right? And, you know, now I'm more open to it, but yeah, you, I've learned so many lessons over time. And it's funny, I always talk about my, my father, about how, uh, he used to tell me all this stuff, right? And I, it never made sense to me when I was younger, right? But until, um, until I got a little bit older, man, it makes perfect sense. Now, you know, I always tell people you should learn something from your father. Um, and I try to pass those things down to my kids. Remember I talked about earlier about if you want to do anything important in life, you have to show up, right? That's right. People, people not, might not believe me, but from, from the time I was in kindergarten to the time I was in 12th grade, I never missed one day of school. I won perfect attendance award every year. In a couple of years, and I think things are different now, but a couple of years ago, my son won the perfect attendance award. And, you know, we're living in this social media world now. So I put some uh, posts out. I said, if I could teach my son anything in life, it would be to show up. Because like I said, if you, if you want to, if you want to be a good entrepreneur, if you want to be a good husband, if you want to go out there and sell newspapers on the side of the road, you got to show up at least, right? You got to give yourself the opportunity. And like I said, for what I consider my own success is taking advantage of those opportunities and showing up. Years and years ago, there's a guy named Louis Simmons. He runs Westside Barbell in Columbus, Ohio. He is widely recognized worldwide, right? Collectively, they're the strongest gym in the world. And as I started my journey, <clears throat> I can tell you that I feel I have trained with the Warren Buffets of the fitness industry. Why? Because when they allow me to come up, I do. And I'll tell you a quick story. I was actually asking a question about the reverse hyper machine. Okay. So I call up 
to Westside, and I said, hey, I had a couple questions about the reverse hyper. Is there someone that could maybe help me out? He said, yeah. Uh, I didn't know I was talking to him at the time. And this was on a Thursday, okay? So I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I started asking questions. And make a long story short, he said, hey, where did you learn some of this information you're talking about? And I told him, you know, I've read, you know, I got all, some of my books here from Barry Ross. Uh, you know, I've talked to a couple other people about, I mean, sorry, read these other books that I was telling Louie about. And I asked, um, who am I speaking to? And he said, well, this is Louie Simmons, you know. And I said, well, what we're doing is, uh, you know, I run a gym down here, blah, blah, blah. And after telling him all this stuff, I basically said, um, or he he basically, I asked, who am I speaking with? He said, oh, this is Louie. And I was like ecstatic, you know, at the time. I was like, man, this is awesome. I'm talking to like a legend. And he said, look, with all this stuff you've talked about, I really like what you're saying. He goes, look, Westside is a invitation only gym. If you, you're ever in Columbus, Ohio, come up. Here's the kicker. I had a friend that was in Ohio State, going to Ohio State. I told you this phone call happened on a Thursday. I was there Monday morning, 8 a.m. I was, uh, my buddy had dropped me off. I'm sitting there in the cold, you know, it's snowing like crazy. I don't know if you've ever been to Columbus. It's fucking cold. And it's like, um, this, this, uh, excursion pulls up and, uh, jumps out and it's Louie and he's walking up to me. He said, Hey, can I help you? I said, Hey Louie, I'm, this is a, uh, my name's Scott Wells from Live Strong Run Fast. I spoke to you Thursday about the reverse hyper. And he looked at me and just, he said, man, get your ass inside. It's cold. And, uh, if you've never been to West side barbell, I mean, it is like, it's an experience. It's just me and Louie right now in his office talking. And in that conversation right there, he, he told me so many things that, you know, maybe my business model and my practices don't follow like just straight powerlifting. But these were life lessons, right? And he said, Scott, tell me a little bit about your your uh, Lift Strong Run Fast. I said, well, it's a recovery-based strength and conditioning system. I said, it works on the conjugate method, uh, kind of like yours, but not uh, directly related to it. I started explaining my uh, mini micro, micro, meso, macro cycle. He says, stop right there. He goes, I can tell you know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't need to hear anything else, right? And he said... If you ever <clears throat> ask someone, um, hey, what are your, you know, tell me about your program. Like, what, is, what do you believe in? And they're like, what do you mean? Or, huh? He said, get away from that person as fast as possible because you already know they're full of shit. They don't know what they're talking about, right? He told me one other thing that was very important to me. He said, Scott, if you're not willing to die for this, you don't need to do it. And I looked at him just like I'm looking at you. And I said, I'm still here. And that's where developing that death goal. So when I die, I want to look, I have that LSRF tombstone. When I die, put me in the ground, put a kettlebell with me, my running shoes, put some shit in there that I can work out after death. Right. But, uh, anything that I do now that is not getting me to that death goal doesn't make sense because that's why it's important to have that death goal because you just work backwards. Why would I go start selling real estate? It's not, it's not helping me reach the world through health and fitness. 
you know, because when somebody comes and talks to me, what they are truly asking me is, Scott, can you help me express myself through health and fitness? And that's what I do because tr- self-expression, I mean, look at, look, you don't get your hands, your neck and your head tattooed if you don't feel you've made it, right? All this stuff on me is self-expression, what I believe in. They, all my tattoos mean something to me, but like I said, it's, uh, when, when people come in, that's what I want to do is help them express themselves fully, you know, exponentially into their full capability. That's good, man. Let me, uh, let's, let's, let's move towards that goal. So you got, let's just say we have somebody that wants to get in shape mm-hmm. and you've seen hundreds, maybe even thousands of people come through the gym, oh, yeah. work out for a little while, maybe a day, maybe six months, and then they kind of fall off. So if you were to give somebody advice on how to get fit, what would it be? Is there a couple yeah. of things? What would it be to the, to the beginner? Yeah. <laughs> somebody asked me that a while back. They say, how do you, how do you, uh, how, how do you lose fat? I said, well, you don't get fat in the first place, right? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, you, you do see a lot of that and it's, um, before I never understood it because I was so one dimensional. I had the blinders on, right? I'm like, how do you not get out? How do you get out of shape? Like that doesn't, and it's hard for me. Cause like I said, I've never been out of shape my whole life. You know, out of shape for me is running 18 miles. And they're like, Oh shit, I'm tired. You know, it doesn't make sense. And I had to realize that a couple things first to answer that question. When I, there was another time I ran like 16 miles and I got to the restaurant and the lady was like, didn't I just see you on 45? I said, yeah. And she's like, where'd you run from? I said, 242. And now I'm in Willis somewhere. And she's like, are you crazy? No, (laughs) you know, and that's the thing. Dedication and passion is something a lot of people don't understand. It's a foreign language. And I had to realize that even to the dedicated and the passionate, that's crazy just to go run, right? 16 mile, whatever, you know, there's, there's a small, there's 1%, half a percent that understand that. And I started realizing I am the anomaly. I had to accept that, right? I, I have a gift that people listen when I talk or give them advice. And if you want to be the anomaly, you got to do anomaly type shit. You can't, you can't do the same thing every day. And this is where I realize I am doing something different every day. I'm doing the basic things every single day, but doing the basic, you know, you've heard this saying before, common sense is not common anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the equation to getting fit has not changed. What has changed is we have more bullshit around this, more fast food, more consumerism, more this trash, right? And there are a lot of people that have lost faith, right? Have lost their way. And guess what? I'm here to tell you, you think it's going to be easy? It's not fucking easy. You got to be dedicated. You think you're going to take a pill? You think you're going to come in here and and be dedicated and and uh, motivated? Like I listen to a lot of David Goggins stuff. He talks about how motivation is crap. You have to be driven because then you will take down anything in front of you. 
and to be driven day in and day out, that takes a very special individual. How does someone who is not doing that and this lifestyle is completely foreign to them do that? It's by making small goals every single day. Micro, what I call micro goals. So if we, if we chip away, let's, and I'll give you an analogy like stretching, right? Just basic stretching. Somebody might reach out and they can't touch the toes. Well, then after a week, they're able to get past their knees. After two months, down their shins. After six months, they're touching the tongue of their shoe. After a year, they're actually touching their toes. See, it took them a year's journey to travel literally maybe two feet at the most, right? And you always hear me make this analogy when squatting. You see people come in here, they can't squat for shit, right? Which is so weird to me, which is that is the most basic fundamental uh, movement of life. I'm passionate about it. I did a workout the other day where I held the bottom. You know, everybody talks about the squat position being a squat being a strength exercise. In reality and in humanity, the squat is a resting exercise, right? That's where people eat from in cultures. That's where people converse from. That's where people shit from in cultures. So how do you get someone who doesn't understand these things, right? Well, you get them to make this small journey every single day, every single time. And then over time, it becomes huge exponential results. And that's where people have to understand, do they have discipline? Do they have consistency? You know, Simon Sinek talks about if we go work out for five hours tomorrow, somebody comes in, you want to go hard, go work out five hours. Great. We're going to wake up tomorrow and guess what you're going to let's see when you look in the mirror. Absolutely nothing. So I always tell people I speak in absolutes because I absolutely know that does not work. But if you're coming to me an hour out of the day and you're training hard and you're eating right and you're getting proper recovery, you're drinking a lot of water, getting sleep, you know, water and sleep are the two most anabolic things you can do for your body and they're absolutely free. Your body is all you need to train. You don't need weights. Go freaking walk, right? If you're doing this for three months, six months, nine months, and we still do not see a change, I absolutely know we are doing something wrong. But I've yet to see that. Because when you come and you dedicate yourself and you're driven and you see that, you know, like I said, on an internal level, what, sorry, on a chemical level, what happens, your dopamine shoots up. When you hit that big lift the other day, when you complete your workout, when you kick the shit out of me the other day on the workout, it makes you feel good, right? Your dopamine levels go through the roof. Well, guess what that is? That's infectious also. That's why all dopamine-based addictions are you know, pretty bad sometimes. Alcoholism, drug use, right? Why would they use that verb? It makes me feel good, right? And... That's the thing. This is a lifestyle. This stuff, guess what? If you if you don't work out for a week, I bet you feel like shit and your cortisol goes through the roof. But you come in here every day and you push people. 
you know, inadvertently, you might not know it, but people are like, damn, that Terry, he's freaking awesome, man. And it's infectious. Why is it people want to train harder? Because they see you training harder. You see, inadvertently, we make people better when our dopamine levels are up because then they, you know, you know, Nelson Mandela talks about, you know, it unintentionally gives you, uh, to, to shine your own light, right? You know, when you shine your light, it unintentionally gives other people permission to shine theirs. And that's what we're looking for is like, yes, it's, it's tough. You know, uh, I didn't, I didn't wake up like this, you know, no matter how much I want to tell myself that I, uh, I had to put into work day in and day out, you know, like I said, the equation isn't hard. You're, you're, you're having you, but you have to be willing to do the equation to get the right answer. That's good, man. Real good. Let me ask you, uh, as kind of wrapping up with uh-huh. this, uh, let's say I left lift strong, run fast, uh-huh. moved to Europe and then came back in 10 years, uh-huh. <clears throat> showed up at the gym what would I see in Scott Wells 10 years from now? Where, where, are, you headed? where are you headed? Well, man, it's, <clears throat> I have to be honest with you. I, I'm a pretty vain person. I hope I still look the same as I do now, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I, and I hope I would see, you know, the, the thing is the, the first thing I thought about Terry, when you said that is I don't give a shit about Scott Wells. I care where, where's Terry at, you know, it's Terry in a good place, you know, yes, I have goals and aspirations and stuff like that. I'm not a fucking loser, you know, but it's like, where, where are you at? And, you know, to answer your question, one of the things that I'm really working on now is I've developed a, what I call a qualification process because I'm not a big believer in certifications. We all know people that have certifications that are complete, you know, morons. And anybody can go two days and get a certification. You know, if you have the money, go get it. Doesn't mean you know it, right? It's like chess. I can teach you to play chess in a matter of minutes, but to master it takes a lifetime. Years and years ago, I actually have the picture up there. And it's a, it's a me and uh, a monk and my friend Chun Wei in, in um, Singapore. As I'm walking around the uh, temple, there's a, I mean, this guy, he's 95 years old, but he's still functional. He's walking around. He's, he's great, you know, and he stops me and he grabs my arm and he's feeling my muscle. And he said, who, you know, and he's speaking, uh, he's speaking Mandarin. And he's talking to my buddy. He says, who is this guy? And Chun Wei tells him, hey, this, he's from the U.S., you know, and he's like, wow, he's strong, you know. And even back then, you know, if I would have seen him now, back then I was really skinny. So, I mean, in my, in my eyes, right? But um, so, you know, anyhow, he's telling Chun Wei to translate this message. He says, for he started practicing Chinese wushu when he was five years old, right? He said, for 90 years, he's been... Uh, been a student of Wushu. Now, everybody else knows him as the master, right? 
how do you how do you know you're the master? You don't know. Other people let you know, right? But people, he's he's the master teaching Chinese wushu. But the message, the lesson he wanted me to learn was he was always he's always a student. He knows he's the master. Yes, he teaches because the master has to teach pupils, right? And he has a lot of followers. There's a you know a a Chinese saying that says a leader with no followers is simply taking a walk. And this is where, when I left 24 hour fitness, there was people that followed me. If you were to go to Europe for 10 years, I'm pretty confident you would still follow live strong, run fast. And that's where I want it to be because I have to make live strong, run fast ingenious. Because after I'm dead and gone and I'm in the ground underneath this thing, I need my kids, their kids. I need other people to follow the methodologies of Live Strong, Run Fast. That's, to me, where I want to be headed in 10 years. Hopefully, I'm still here. But like I said, we're going to – it's like someone believing in faith. They're going to preach the gospel. They're in the grave, right? You're going to believe in the gospel. You're going to preach it until you're dead and gone. Yep. And that's the gospel to me. I, I just keep preaching it, and you know whether. And we'll talk to people who want to listen, and people that want to serve and, and reap the benefits that like we have gotten. I'm telling you, it's uh, it's something that it's it's almost unexplainable to people who just have not felt it. Right. Because it's it, like I said, I speak about it like it's a religion. And once you feel it, you will believe. That's good, man. Thanks for sharing your heart and mm. sharing your expertise and uh, sharing your, your story with us, man. Yeah. sharing well, your passion. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you in part by Lift Strong, Run Fast. It's a gym here in the Woodlands, Texas, that I've been a member of for the past two years. And I'll tell you, I've never been in better shape than I am now. I used to be a wrestler in high school, and then right after that, I joined the military. And despite those extreme trainings that I went through in both those uh, areas of my life, I am in better shape now at 36 years old, and it's because I'm a member at this gym and they do a really good job of putting together programming that works the entire body and focuses on flexibility, strength, and the ability to run. It's an incredible gym. Huge thanks goes to Lift Strong Run Fast for being a sponsor of this podcast. You can find out more details about Lift Strong Run Fast at liftstrongrunfast.com or on Facebook at facebook forward slash liftstrongrunfast. Bell Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we're asking for your support. There are two ways to do that. One, by getting involved with our mission, and two, by contributing financially. Please visit bellinstitute.org. That's B-E-L institute.org to help us make an impact.